Good to be with you all this morning on the, uh, the kickoff of 2019 Amen Bible Study. I know uh, some of you are already a little bit distraught. Some of you type A, everything's got to be exactly how it's supposed to be. You're looking at this page and going, it says Psalms on the top. And then it says John 15. And you're wondering what's going on. Well, we're going to let you know what is going on here in a minute. And let me just say, what a, what a great honor. I'd put that, Rob Lydon, I'd put that on my res- resume. Bravest man in the room. Bravest man in the room. This is a good, that says a lot in this room especially, to be the bravest man in this room. In, uh, in Pensacola, not Pensacola Beach, but right, right before you go across the causeway in Pensacola to Pensacola Beach, right there near uh, Bayfront Road, um, there is this uh, restaurant called McGuire's Pub that's, uh, it, I guess it started more as a bar in 1977 with some bar food, and then the food expanded, and now the building is, is, uh, is a pretty decent-sized building with lots of different rooms, places to eat. They have amazing steaks there, um, and uh, the, the food, the menu is, is pretty significant. Um, but probably what's most significant, if you haven't been there, if you have been there, you, you know what, I, what I'm going to say here. What's most significant is that this restaurant, starting in 1977, uh, has dollar bills stapled to the ceiling, stapled to the wall. So they started that in 1977 with the first, I guess, tip that was ever given. And they stapled the, signed the dollar bill, stapled it to the ceiling. And then ever since 1977... Like, that's the cool thing to do is to go there and uh, sign your name, write a little note on a dollar bill, and get it stapled to the stealing staple. This has happened so much. This restaurant is so popular in all these uh, decades that uh, right now there's somewhere between $1.2 and $1.7 million estimated uh, just attached to everything. Um, Apparently, they used to have a guy that would come in for their for tax purposes, who actually had to get on a ladder and count it. And somewhere after about $750,000, whenever they reached that point, they started allowing an estimate to take place uh, for taxes. Uh, it's fascinating. You go in there and you, you walk around, and I mean, there are literally dollar bills everywhere in this, in this massive restaurant. But what is, what is most fascinating to me about that, when I, we asked the waitress how much money is a staple to the ceiling, and she said... At that point, she said it was $1.2 million. <laughs> I thought to myself, well, that's kind of a bummer if I own this restaurant because there's nothing I can do with that $1.2 million. I, mean, I guess I could, I could take it down, but then I ruined the whole thing of what's going on. There's $1.2 million stapled to the ceiling. It's really cool, <laughs> but there's nothing being done with it. It's not invested. It's not. Uh, it's not. Can't be used for for anything. To it seems like a liability risk. If anything, um, the thing could could burn burn up, and all of a sudden you've lost one point two million dollars. When I think of that, I sometimes think of Amen Bible Study. Because what I long for Amen Bible Study not to be is just something that is really amazing, really memorable. Really cool to talk about, but has no investment value in our churches in our city. And as I was thinking about that over the last, actually over the last month, and I was actually at that point, because I always do this in December, evaluating in my own life uh, what I want to do, what I want to think about for, for the next year. 
those two things kind of converged for me. And I thought about this. I thought, you know what? It might be a good time for us at the beginning of a new year of studying the book of Psalms to just pause and to think about what am I doing with the deposits that have been made in my life through Christ, through His Holy Spirit, in His Word? What am I doing with it? What are we doing with that? What does God want us to do with it uh, in, this, in this year, 2019? So that we're not just coming every, Wednesday, uh, every Thursday morning and, and deeply soaking in the book of Psalms and, and even being moved and having our minds, not just our minds, and our, but also our hearts, challenged to deeper things. But then it just ends up like a whole like $1.2 million stapled to a ceiling where, yes, it's, it's pretty amazing, but what are we going to do with that? How is that going to, to impact things? So today what I want to do with you is I want to share with you a passage of Scripture, John chapter 15, that uh, has been the structure uh, or has structured and shaped my life for the last 25 years. It's something that I, I, I turn to uh, definitely every December and oftentimes throughout the year using it as an evaluation tool of whether or not I am growing in my relationship with Christ. And I want to give that to you and, and unpack that for you today and hopefully help have, have us use that as a way to set up our thinking, our mindset, our actions as we dive into Psalms for the rest of the year. So let's read together John chapter 15. Um, I'm going to begin at verse 1 and there's just going to be one place where I'm going to, to skip. And let me give you the context here. John 13 through 17 are what we call the upper room discourse. These are the things that took place and the things Jesus said that took place on that last night in the upper room when he gave them what we call the Lord's Supper, the Communion Supper. Uh, the other Gospels um, just mention a little bit about what took place at that meal before Jesus was crucified. John gives us a fuller picture. He expands us and lets us know more of the details, lets us know more specifically what Jesus said. So here we are at the table, uh, Jesus there with his disciples, and here are his words to his disciples, beginning John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every, uh, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and pointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. And now skip down to verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of, the truth, Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on the night before he went to the cross, these very memorable, important messages that Jesus had for his disciples, you can draw out what I would call three priorities of growing in Christ. Three priorities of what it means to be a disciple. These three priorities are are necessarily in order. They necessarily build upon each other. But they are not in, you can't separate them. They're inseparable. You can't choose one priority, but not the other two. You can't be committed to the first two and not be committed to the third. You can't just start working on one and say, I'll eventually get to two and three years later. Um, and, and these aren't priorities that are only found here as Jesus speaks to his disciples. They actually relate to things that you see in Deuteronomy 6. And I've described them for you in this way, in these three points... And we'll go through them point by point. But starting with the first point, a growing devotion to Christ. In John chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, he says, Abide in me and I will abide in you. I want you to be intimately connected to me, he says to his disciples. I want there to be this this connection in the same way that a branch is connected to a tree and receives its nutrients and receives its support. And there's this flow that goes back and forth. I want you to abide in me like that. I don't want you to be a dead branch that withers away. I want you to be a live branch that is receiving from me nutrients, that is engrafted into Christ himself. Now, I've crafted these points with the words growing devotion. And before we go any further, I think we need to unpack. Why why do we say growing? Why is the word growing there? A growing devotion to Christ. And this is why. Because we know through our, through our Bibles, certainly through the Gospels, that Christ begins with us right where we are right now. Praise the Lord, we didn't have to clean ourselves up or reach a certain maturity in order for Christ to receive us. No, whatever state that Christ found us in, He received us in that state. The mercy of God and the grace of God is that He takes us right where we are. But also, the mercy and grace of God is that he doesn't just leave us where we are. Mercy and grace doesn't mean, hey, God just accepts me like I am. Always, I don't have to move at all. I can just be this guy. No, the mercy and grace of God does that for us. And it also 
also moves us somewhere. So he doesn't just leave us in that place. He sends us on this journey. And here's the part, hard part. Being a disciple of Christ, being a mature disciple in Christ, is a journey, not an arrival. We'll never arrive on this side of heaven at a certain place of maturity that we can go, okay, we've done it. There's, there's, no, there's no retirement plan on this side of heaven for a, a disciple of Christ. We're always growing. So that's why we say growing. And in that, there is grace in the fact that wherever you are, because some of you in here think to yourselves, man, I, I, I feel like a, like a spiritual infant compared to the men in this room. And they're spiritual giants. I had one young guy tell me, Todd, I have a hard time sometimes going to amen because I feel like the men there uh, have all like, you know, done three business deals, showered, worked out before they showed up at the Bible. They're like, I'm just trying to get out of bed on time to make it here. I said, hey, just, yeah. Some of you are like, yeah. That's we say growing because Christ takes us where we are and moves us somewhere. Why do we say devotion? Why did I say the word devotion? I used to use the word commitment. But as I study my Bibles, I understand this, that a relationship abiding with Christ, what Christ is calling his disciples to, what he's calling us to, is more than a commitment to a religious view or to a faith. It is more than a commitment. It, it, it does involve a commitment, but not just a commitment to religious view or faith. We know it is a relationship with Christ himself. And, and so the word devotion has with it not just the idea that there is a, 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 a convenient relationship. Oh yeah, Jesus is my friend. Uh, yeah, Jesus helps me through the day. Jesus lets me, gives me some counsel and things like that. No, it's way more than that. But it's also not just, oh, I'm committed to live by Christian values. I'm committed to Christian principles. No, it's way more than that. Those two things are married. It is our mind and our hearts. We are devoted to Christ. Being a disciple means that we're devoted to him. It's, it's, those things come together. So a growing devotion to Christ is what Christ is calling his disciples to in verses 7 through 11. Well, how do we grow in Christ? What do our Bibles tell us? What would he have said? What does that mean? What did the disciples, how did they play that out when they wrote the epistles, when they went through the book of Acts? What did that ministry look like? Well, it really was three things that are right, uh, right there in your outline. The first is this, God's word. A growing devotion to Christ that abiding in Christ requires us to sink deeply into God's word. That's what's such, so amazing about what's happening here. So amazing about what you're doing. I cannot commend you enough for being men who say, no, please don't just bring me funny stories and a, and a message to help me through the day. No, I want to sink deeply into God's word. I want to seek scripture cross-reference with other scriptures. I want to understand how this all goes together. Praise the Lord for that. And so what does that look like for us in our lives? We need to understand the authority and inerrancy of scripture that has to be important to us. What's the point of studying this if we don't believe that it is the authority of God that we don't, if we don't believe it's inerrant? What's the point? We might as well study any old book. So we need to understand that. We need to read our Bibles. We need to, to meditate on these words. We need to memorize Scripture. David said, Thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
These words need to be on our lips as we speak, as it talks about in Deuteronomy 6, as we're out publicly, that those words are so ingrained in us that they just come out in our language. And we need to understand how this is all from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation, that this is all about Christ. This whole thing is about, we don't just look at the New Testament, we look at the Old Testament. We see how Christ in the Gospel was the original plan for God, for us, in the whole arc of redemptive history. We understand those things, and it's daily for us. We're daily in the Word. We're not just, we're not just sinking deeply on Thursday mornings. No, we have a plan to sink deeply into God's Word every day. We figure out how to do that, personally, daily. It also involves prayer. God has given us this amazing gift of prayer. Philippians chapter 4, as I put there, says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your petitions be made known to God, and the peace of Christ which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. There's a connection with those things. Rejoicing, seeking God in prayer, and the peace guarding your heart and mind. And we've got to be men who develop personal prayer and develop a pattern of corporate prayer. And, and it doesn't need to just be when we're distressed. <laughs> it needs to be something that we're planning every day. And brothers, let me encourage you. We need to be men who are actively um, building a pattern of corporate prayer in our churches. And we need to be the ones leading in that. I don't, I don't say this. I don't say this in any way to shame anybody from Second Presbyterian Church here. I just, want to, I just want to give you an example of why we need to get better at this. Um, we have a congregational prayer time here at Second Presbyterian Church that takes place at 5 o'clock every Sunday for 45 minutes. We've been doing this congregational prayer time either on Wednesday or on a, or on a Sunday for as long as I've been at this church. I've never been to a congregational prayer time in 17 years at Second Presbyterian Church that has had more than 60 people at it at any one given time. The average this fall for that prayer time has been somewhere around 15 people. <laughs> we have 3,000 members in our church. Do we need to grow in corporate prayer? Yeah, we do. I decided to take over that prayer time this fall. Do you know why? Because I was pathetically not going to the prayer time. <laughs> and I thought, I need, this needs to be part of my life. I need, I need, what's the way to make it a part of my life? Well, if I'm in charge, I'm going to have to be accountable. So I basically, I basically took charge of it, not because I'm a prayer giant, but because I'm a, a prayer infant. And I needed the accountability to get there. Brothers, we need to do that if we're going to abide in Christ. And then there has to be, with that, trust and obedience. Look at what Jesus says in verses 8 through 11. Jesus says this to his disciples, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you're abiding my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's saying, hey, this abiding is connected to commandments, is connected to fruit. And so it's not just a matter of being men of the word, which we need to be. It's not just a matter of being men of prayer, which we need to be. But those things need to turn into trust and obedience that shows itself in actions day to day. 
so that we're not compartmentalizing what happens in our quiet times or our private devotions. We're not compartmentalizing what happens on Thursday mornings. But no, those things are actually totally in, in being incorporated into every aspect of our lives. So we're building trust in our relationships. We're trusting the Lord and for our relationships. We're trusting the Lord in our marriages. We're trusting the Lord when we're not married. We're trusting the Lord in our business. We're trusting the Lord when we have a job. We're trusting the Lord when we don't have a job. We're trusting the Lord when we, when we have money to steward. We're trusting the Lord when we don't have any money to steward. And we're worried about how we're going to pay the bills. And we're being obedient to Him. We're applying these things that we're learning in our lives. So that we are bearing fruit. That's, that's the showing of... A, that, Jesus says that's how people are going to know you're my disciple. Not by how many Bible studies you attend. Not by how many scriptures you memorize. Not by how many congregational prayer meetings you go to. But what does it look like in your home on Thursday afternoon when you get home from work? What does it look like on Saturday morning? What does it look like at the office at 10 o'clock this morning? Do these things permeate the way we act, the way we think, the way we relate? Are we trusting the Lord? Are we finding our identity in Christ? I don't know if there's, a, while it was encouraging, I don't know if you saw this, Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback from Clemson University, um, who's, uh, you know, 19 years old, and uh, you know, absolutely amazing, but I don't know if you saw the, the video of him being interviewed, and, and the most cool customer you've ever seen, they, they asked him why he doesn't get rattled, and he's like, well, I, I don't, he's, I don't know, uh, I mean, I, if I'm, I've been finding my identity in Christ, and it doesn't really matter what I perform on the field like. It just really matters what, what Christ thinks of me. And I, I guess that's why I, it was just the most, I was like, besides being amazing, I was just personally convicted. <laughs> I, said to, uh, I said to my brother, before, as we were watching the game, I said, do you understand how unbearable you or I would be as dads if that was our son? He's like, oh yeah, Todd, nobody would want to talk to us at all. I said, I know, because you know what we would do? We would find our identity in our son. And here's this 19-year-old kid saying, I just find my identity in Christ. It doesn't How my performance goes doesn't matter. That happens because he's a growing, he has a growing devotion to Christ and the word and prayer is permeating his life in trust and obedience. Stewardship. Stewardship is a, is a, is a is a discipleship action. Stewardship of our time. Are, are we figuring out how to use our time for God's kingdom? Are we figuring out how to use our resources for God's kingdom? That is, those are trust and obedience issues that are our character, our victory over sin and temptation. All of those things are, are the outpouring or need to be the outpouring. That's the fruit of abiding. And if there is no fruit, we need to figure that out. We need to figure out why isn't there fruit in these areas. A growing devotion to Christ. Well, Jesus goes on in verses 12 through 17. So after verse 11, he says in verse 12, this is my commandment. So he says, I want you to follow my commandments. That's how you're going to be my disciple. Then he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. He's talking to these men, these disciples around the table. He's talking to people that were his disciples. I want you to love each other as my disciples. 
No greater love is this than the way you love one another. Another place he said, the world is going to know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So what does that mean for us? It means this, a growing devotion to the body of Christ. A growing devotion to the body of Christ, to his church. And Christ is the one who established the church. Remember that, that moment when, when Peter comes up to him and says, uh, uh, no, Peter comes, uh, Jesus comes up to the disciples and says to them, hey, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're, you know, Elijah back from the dead. Some say you're a great prophet. And Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says, Peter, these words were not given to you. Uh, you didn't come up with them yourselves. The Holy Spirit is given to you. And upon you, I'm going to build my church. Upon people like you, upon that promise, I'm going to build what? My church. The church was established by Christ himself. It is the only ministry established by Christ, by the way. <laughs> Everything else is parachurch, is, is extra church. The Christ ministry is the local church. And so a growing devotion to the body of Christ naturally has to play itself out in the local church. What is a local church supposed to look like? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Remember when we studied this uh, a few years back in the book of Acts, going through this in Amen Bible study. I love this. It's, it's so simple. Verses 42 through 47. You want to know what a local church is supposed to be? You know what your church is supposed to look like? This is what our churches are supposed to look like. Beginning in verse 42 in Acts. And they devoted themselves. There's that great word, devotion. And actually, in the Greek, it's continually devoted. Like every day they devoted themselves. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were continually devoting themselves to sitting under God's teaching, to fellowship with each other, to, to participating in the sacraments, to participate, to actually eating meals together, and to prayer. <laughs> they were devoted continually to prayer. And they were meeting as much as they possibly could. And they were looking and going, oh, this brother over here, he's struggling to pay his bills. You know what? I've got three houses. If I sell one, I can have that money to be able to help out other brothers in Christ where they have need. And I'm going to find joy in that with my generous heart. I'm going to be able to, to do these things. And, they, and they, went, they, they were looking at each other and using their gifts to make all this happen. And these were happening in a local place. They were loving one another. This is what it looked like. And this, brothers, is inseparable from faith in Christ. And so what I long for, and, and maybe it's happening, but let's make sure it's happening in 2019, that this Bible study, which is so powerful, it's unbelievable. The men in this room, the influence you represent, the people to whom you're connected, this is a powerful, powerful uh, ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I long for 
is that we would be transforming our churches because we have a growing devotion to the body of Christ. And I don't just mean big, big C church. See, that's one of the things. I, I, when, I was, when I lived in Greenville, South Carolina, and forgive me if you're from Greenville or if you're listening on the tape and you're from Greenville, but when I was in Greenville, one of the weirdest things in Greenville, and I guess it happens in every city. I haven't heard it as much in some other places. In Greenville, it was almost cool to say, even as like a 50-year-old man, oh yeah, you know what? I go to several churches. I'm really all about the church universal. Like it was actually seen in that city at that time, this is 17 years ago, as almost like you were more spiritually mature if you did that. That doesn't make any sense from Scripture whatsoever. You can't live out the one another commands of Scripture. You can't live out these things unless you're committed to a local body of believers. You have to, you have, to have that level of accountability and commitment and work those things out. Honestly, it's kind of easy to just church hop all the time. It's easy to be committed to big C church. You never actually have to deal with hard people. You can just float around. You can just do whatever you feel like. And when things get hard one place, you can go to another. That's not church. That's not what it means to have a growing devotion to the body of Christ. Now, what does it mean that? It means I'm committed to them. I'm, I'm transforming that. I'm, I'm working hard in these areas. What are some of those areas? Worship. So I look at myself and I say, Todd, if I'm going to be a, have a growing devotion to the body of Christ, then I have to have a growing devotion to corporate worship. I have to figure out how that becomes more and more a part of my life. And I shared with you several, several, uh, a couple of years ago how that kind of played itself out at one point in my life, where I realized that I was committed to that. I was committed to showing my sons that, except every time I went on vacation, I had no intention of even looking for a church on Sunday morning which was ironic because that was the one day I had no other commitments whatsoever. <laughs> I'm on vacation. And I was rested. <laughs> and I had nothing else to do that day. I mean, talk about the easiest time to go to church ever. And so being, being convicted of that, I thought, Todd, just get on the Internet or ask around and find a good church and go to church. <laughs> Be with God's people. Be a growing disciple. Be have a growing devotion to the body of Christ, to fellowship, building relationships, inviting people into our homes. I, am I doing that? Is that what's happening? You know, one of the big things that we're recognizing in our, in our, in our world today, in the church in America today, is that through a lot of sin and a lot of our history, we have unfortunately created a bunch of mono-ethnic churches. And that doesn't reflect the complexion of heaven. And so we at least need to be churches that would provide the opportunity to, to, to be diverse if God wants us to do that. So I got committed to that. And then I realized probably two years ago, Todd, you know what? You can't say on the one hand that you're, that you're committed to a, a multi-ethnic or a diverse church family when you're not living a multi-ethnic and diverse life. So, Todd, you know what? Your, your church is only going to be as diverse as your dinner table and parties are. So I thought, okay, you're right. That's fellowship. I can't expect my church to get diverse, and I can't even get my Friday night dinner group to be diverse. I've got to change that. I've got to figure that out. That's what it means to be committed to fellowship. One another commands. There's 59 one another commands in the New Testament. 
Those one another commands cannot be lived out with any effectiveness if I'm just floating around to churches, if I'm just attending on Sunday morning. No, in order for me to be a growing disciple, I actually have to be committed to a local body of believers so I can have the opportunity to live out those one another commands. And actually, they get to live them out with me. Like one of them is, is bear with one another. I love that. It's from Colossians chapter 3. The honesty of the Bible. Why, do, why does the Bible tell us to bear with one another? Because sometimes we're really unbearable. <laughs> and so as disciples, we learn to do that. We learn to flesh out the gospel as we bear with one another. Spiritual gifts. How are we going to know our spiritual gifts? Where do we use our spiritual gifts? They were meant for the church to be played out in the church. And so that's what we do. We're figuring out... Uh, what our spiritual gifts are. And I would say to you, if you don't know, if you've never investigated what your spiritual gifts are, there are great tests out there that you can get online even and, and take that are even for free and take and figure out what your spiritual gifts and look at the list and say, hey, does this, does this seem to reflect me? And then figure out, maybe go talk to your pastor and say, help me figure out my spiritual gifts. Hey, I think these are my spiritual gifts. How, where, how do I use them? Where do I use them? What can I do here? <laughs> Several years ago, I think I told you this story too, when I was in Greenville, South Carolina, um, we, went to, we did this massive spiritual gifts test. The whole staff did. It was, I, I'm sure somebody paid a lot of money for it because it was 25 pages long, long test. I mean, extensive, extensive. I was actually working on it at, at home one uh, afternoon, and my wife, Lynn, comes home, and she says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm taking this spiritual gifts survey. It's, it's pretty intense, and it's I think it's going to be really helpful for me. And then I hand her these two pages. I said, actually, here's this list of the spiritual gifts in Scripture and the descriptions of them, if you want to look at it. So Lynn, I thought I was being Lynn. Lynn did this. She looked at it. She's like, huh, I don't see big fat know-it-all on this. <laughs> Not to be outdone. I took it from her and I said, it's right here, honey. It says leadership right there. <laughs> you can take that, know your gifts, what, what they are. That's how do they, and the spiritual gifts were given, by the way, to be used in the body of Christ. You can't really fulfill what scripture says about your spiritual gifts unless you're fully committed to a local church and invested there. Because that's the reason God gave gifts was for the church. So a growing devotion to the body of Christ. And then... After Jesus says this in John 15, in verse 17, he switches in John, in verse 18, and begins to talk about the world. He says in verse 18, if the world hates you, this is John chapter 15, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He begins to talk to them about the relationship they had the world. He says, I've called you out of the world. And that's why you're going to face some of this persecution. But that's okay because you're my disciple. But then it's interesting. He says he calls them out of the world because he's, he's saying, you're going to be mine. You're going to belong to me. You're going to be abiding in me. But then in verse 26 and 27, he talks about sending them back into the world. And obviously there's a tension here of persecution because he's assuming that they would not create some Christian bubble, but that instead they would be engaging the world. That they would be involved in it. Because in verses 26 and 27, he says, But when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. He said, you're, you're, you're going to be the, the continuing ministry of Christ. Jesus, was on, Jesus' ministry only lasted three years on the face of the earth. And then he decided 
God, the triune God, decided that the way he wanted to reach the world was, was to take the ministry of Christ and hand it off to us. I know that sounds like a terrible plan, <laughs> but that's God's plan. That's what he wants to do. He wants us to be the continuing mission of Christ. And so, what does that mean? It means that as a growing disciple, I want to have a growing devotion to the mission of Christ in the city and the world. And those things are connected. A growing devotion to Christ means a growing devotion to the body of Christ, means a growing devotion to the work of Christ, in the, the mission of Christ in the city and the world. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples the night before he's going to be crucified. This is what I want for you. This is what it needs to look like in your life. And what does it mean to have a growing devotion to the, uh, the mission of Christ in the city and the world? Well, it certainly means personal evangelism. Jesus' very last words to his disciples in Acts 1.8 says, You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Judea, in this city, in Samaria, to your enemies and to the other parts of the world. You're going to be my witnesses. So personal evangelism has to be part of what it means to be a growing disciple. But not only that, it's also about discipleship. We can't separate evangelism and discipleship. You can't say, well, I'm a discipler, but I'm not an evangelist, or I'm an evangelist, and I'm not a discipler. Why can't you say that? Because in Matthew 28, when Matthew records the last words of Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, he says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, actually the word is as you go, so it assumed the disciples and we would go out. As you go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So it's not just evangelism, but it's discipleship. It's connected there. It also has to do with service and justice and mercy. Earlier when I was talking about living out trust and obedience, I listed James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, which say this, Do not merely be those who listen to the word, but do what it says. Someone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and realizes his hair's messed up and he hasn't shaved, looks at himself and goes, my hair's messed up and hasn't shaved, and then walks away and never fixes his hair or shaves. <laughs> That's like someone who, who goes to a Bible study but then doesn't do anything with the rest of the day. And James says, don't be like that. Be doers of the word. And then right after that, he says this. Christian religion that is pure is those who takes care of widows and orphans. This is the most bizarre thing to connect all that. He's speaking about trusting God. He's speaking about being doers of the word. And then, boom, right away, he goes to the most marginalized people in that culture. Widows and orphans were the most marginalized people in that culture. And he says, the way you're going to display the mission of Christ is to care for that. And I've been convicted in the last several years that this is the, the deal. I, I grew up in an environment where we were all about caring for the souls of the people in the city. We, we really wanted people to know Christ. We were so concerned about the soul. That's a good thing. But here's what we can't be, because Christ wasn't. We can't be committed to care for the souls of people and not be committed to their physical bodies. That doesn't make sense. Jesus wasn't that way. 
Jesus didn't look at people who were marginalized, who were broken, who were suffering, who needed to be healed and said, yeah, 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 you know what, that'll happen. Don't worry, when you get to heaven, that'll all be worked out. Let me just tell you about how we can fix your spiritual life. No, Jesus dealt with people's physical bodies. He healed people's physical bodies. And so the mission of Christ necessarily involves not just the souls of the people in the city, but their physical bodies. That's a beautiful connection that exists in Christianity that I don't think you see in any other religion, major religion of the world. And it certainly involves world missions. Uh, We've got to think about taking the gospel from where it's known to where it's not known. That has to happen because in both Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, and Acts 1.8, these are the last words of Jesus before he sends to heaven. He makes it clear that this gospel has to go out to the whole world. He tells his disciples you got to make sure this goes out to the whole world. And so we've got to make sure it goes out to the whole world. So what do we do with this, brothers? What do we do with these three priorities? Why did I say this, 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 uh, this passage of Scripture has structured my life for 25 years? Why would I give you this before we dive into Psalms for the rest of this semester? This is why. These were Jesus' marching orders to his disciples. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Therefore, these are my marching orders. Every day. Every day, these are my things. So, so this is what I do every December. And this is what I'm asking you to do. I look over this. I have all these things structured and written out. Sometimes I can recognize right away where I've grown in the last year, and I've also recognized right away where I'm, where I'm, where I'm not doing so well or I need to learn more. Sometimes I actually just write numbers. 10, I'm doing great. I've never written a 10 on anything, by the way. (laughs) One, it's a disaster. I'm not doing any. I just just give myself a, a, I just go through and rate these. Not because my spiritual life is a rating or I stand before Christ as something deficient. No, no, I I accept the mercy and grace of Christ, but I want to be a growing disciple. So, Todd, how's it going? You, you want to have a growing devotion to Christ. You want to have a growing devotion to the body of Christ. You want to have a growing devotion to the mission of Christ in the city and the world. How is that actually going, Todd? Evaluate. So I evaluate myself, and I, and I look at all of those things, and I write that down. And then you know what? I might have on that paper, under all those categories, I might have five things that are, that are a, a three or a two or lower. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to be able to tackle five things in one year. (laughs) So I'm just going to pick a couple of them. I'm just going to say, Lord, you know what? I need to really, I need to do better in this fellowship area. This year, I want to figure out how to grow and what it means to to be, uh, have a a growing devotion to your body, the church, and I really want to I want to narrow down on that fellowship. And I want to get some action steps. I want to read some books. I want to talk to my pastor or my friend and say, hey, hey, what are some, what are some things I can do to study this? What are some things I can do? And maybe we just need to stop studying and I need to start doing. That's what it came to mind with my, the fellowship thing, right? I'm a natural introvert. I kind of like it on Friday when there's no one coming to my house. Right? That would be my inclination. That's not fellowship. I need to open my home. And so that's what I thought. What do I need to do? I just need to figure out, talk to my wife. I need to, and, I, and, I, and I want my home not to just be, frankly, a bunch of people that look exactly like me. 
I want to begin to develop relationships with other brothers and sisters who are from other ethnicities. And you know what? There's, there's some people in my church like that that I don't know very well. I just need to know them. So I just need to take steps. I, that became, my, that became my, my marching plan for this next year, how to grow. And this is why I'm giving you this, brothers, and we'll wrap this up right here. Because I don't want amen three years from now to look like the ceiling of McGuire's pub. I don't want people to go, yeah, that's amazing. 150, 200 men every Thursday morning studying God's word in depth. Man, there's so much value in that. It's so memorable. Man, you should see it. You've you got to come one time just to see it. It's so cool. And it literally has no impact or value outside of this room. I don't want that to happen to amen. Instead, I want what happens here to be so transformative in our homes, in our churches, in our businesses, in this city, in this world, that three years from now, people are going, what in the world is going on there on Thursday mornings? How do I, what, what's happening? Three years from now, we want to get the age of this room dropped by about 20 years. <laughs> Mitchell Moore, Barton, Barton Kimbrough, and Todd Erickson tried really hard with the help of a lot of you, and we learned all these different ideas of how to do that. There's only one thing that actually works. There's one, only one way that it actually works. It's when you personally invite a guy who's 20, 30 years younger than you, and you're committed to help him get here, pick him up, encourage him. That, that's the only way it works. That's the only way the age will drop in this room. There's no program, there's no plan that'll fix that. I want that. I want us to be that. So let's take God's word and let it be our grid through which we figure out how we're going to live this year. Let's pray together. Father, You know how, how grateful I am for these brothers. Lord, the example of the men in this room and their influence on my life is, is hard to measure. And Lord, I, you know how many times I have I've praised you and thanked you for what you have given to me and how you've ministered to me, Lord, through these men. And oh, Father, you've drawn us together here uh, through good times, through bad times, Lord, through transitions. And we're here, Lord. And we desire to be your disciples. Now, Father, as we have heard your word, may we always be men that don't merely listen to your word and walk away. But, Lord, may we be men who do what it says. So, Father, we're your disciples. We're asking for marching orders. And we're asking for the power of the Holy Spirit that as he is a witness in this world, that we would be witnesses. Oh, Lord, do this so that you would receive glory in this city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.